good morning. When I was growing up in middle school, there were two superheroes that were my favorites. One of them was Superman, and the other one was Tarzan. And um, behind our house, there was this big field, and to the right side of it, or diagonally from the house, there was a school and a, a huge swing set. It was one of those swing sets that had the chains for the handles there, and I used to swing as high as I could, so high that when I got to the top part there, I actually came off the seat. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about here. And in my mind, I was envisioning myself being Superman, especially on a cloudy day. I just thought how fun it would be to be able to fly in the sky, you know, and, and not just the flying part, but I, I envisioned that I was, you know, rescuing the day. I was dealing with the bad guys. I was helping someone else. I was arriving just in time. And I did the same thing with Tarzan. On the left side of that same field, there was this wooded area. And and from a lot of the trees in the wooded area, there were these vines hanging down. And I would take my pocket knife and cut the bottom of the vine so that it would swing. And then I'd grab it and jump up as hard as I could backwards and then swing forward. And I envisioned in my mind setting up a network of these vines so I could swing from vine to vine like Tarzan does. Truth of the matter is that it just hurt your hands <laughs> trying to do that. But again, in my mind, I was, I was arriving at just the right moment. I was saving the day. I was dealing with some kind of injustice or whatever. And, and just for a few minutes in my own mind, I, I was the hero of the story. In reality, at the time that I was Superman or Tarzan, I was most likely a 78-pound weakling. Uh, nothing really super about me. My, I was an average student. I wasn't good at sports. I, I had good coordination, but I wasn't good at sports. Just, I was just so average in so many ways, and I was timid and everything else. And, and when I could imagine myself as being Tarzan or Superman, suddenly I was someone that was important. Suddenly I was someone who was making a difference. And I suspect all of us have had kind of dreams like this in our hearts, that we want to be someone in this life who makes a difference, somebody who is important, someone whose life you know, really counts for something. We all want our lives to be meaningful. And yet, the reality many times is that I think we have a a low view of ourselves. I think we have a lot of self-defeating ideas in our minds. Most of us do not see ourselves as being good enough or are able to do something significant. We many times don't view ourselves as being useful. What I want us to understand here today, though, is that God loves to use weak people to accomplish extraordinary things. I think God himself loves David and Goliath's stories. And I think that's part of the reason we love them. Because it's in the nature of God to take someone who is weak and young and insignificant and turn them into someone that accomplishes something remarkable, something incredible. I have a few life verses. And one of my life verses is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's actually a section. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29, it goes this way. Brothers, consider your calling. In other words, consider what you were when God called you to himself. Consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective. 
Not many powerful. There are many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world. What is viewed as nothing to bring to nothing what is viewed as something so that no one can boast in his presence. Paul was making the point that God loves to use weak and worldly insignificant people to accomplish his purposes because when that happens, he shines through. His light shines through in situations like this. This is why Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong because then God's glory shines through me. And people look at us and say, well, you're not very impressive, but then God uses us in great ways, and he's the one who gets the glory. Now, today we're doing part two of our series, Face to Face. This is a series about encounters that Jesus had with various people as we're working our way through the Gospel of John. Last week, I talked about Jesus' encounter with John the Baptist, and we really focused on who Jesus was last week according to John, that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but he's also the Lord of all. And he was revealed through John the Baptist. But today we're going to look at Jesus' encounters with the guys that he wanted to accompany him for the three years of his ministry, his disciples, ones who'd be called apostles. What's interesting about these ones that Jesus selected is that they're not ones that other people would have selected. They wouldn't have been the ones chosen by other people. They, they weren't well-educated, you know. They, there was nothing really impressive about them. They, they had, a, a, you know, a, a good working job, but it was nothing really special about it. And they're ones that I think society would have looked down upon simply because they had a Galilean accent. You know, people say, you know, there they go, start talking, and you say, oh, you're from Galilee, you know. And people would look down on them. And I suspect that even the disciples themselves wondered, why did Jesus choose me? But this is the way God often works. Because when we're proud, when we're self-sufficient, he can't really work through us. But when we recognize how needy we are and how weak and insignificant, God loves to take ones like that and then accomplish his purposes through them. And so my takeaway today is this, that God loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. He loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. Today, I'd like to pick up where we were last week and then move forward at the places where Jesus met, initially met his disciples, and then eventually called them to himself. He came, though, to change their lives, every one of them, one at a time, which is kind of the theme of this whole series. These ones met Jesus, and then their lives were changed. We pick it up in John 1, beginning in verse 35 where we read, again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he heard Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. Let me stop for a moment, but we know that one of the disciples was named Andrew. The other disciple was most likely John, who was the author of the gospel, but he seems to, in a few occasions in his gospel, have a humility where he doesn't want to acknowledge, I was one of the two but he was, most likely. Continuing in verse 39, when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, or literally it means my great one, where are you staying? 
Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about 10 in the morning. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon. In other words, the first thing he did was he found his own brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, which means anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. Now again, this series is about lives that were changed after an encounter by Jesus and Peter who would later be called Peter anyway. His name was Simon here. When he meets Jesus, the first thing Jesus did was change his name. I mean, can you imagine that if you ran into somebody, a teacher, or someone that you had some respect for, and the moment you met him, they said, I don't like Simon. I want you to be called this other names, Cephas or whatever here. That's, that's what he did. You know, he changed his name. My study Bible has a little note by the name Cephas, Cephas is the Aramaic word for rock. It is parallel to the Greek word Petros, from which the English name Peter is derived. And so basically Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. Now Simon's name, it wasn't a bad name up to that point. It was actually based on the Hebrew word Shema, which means hear or listen. You know, Jewish, devout Jewish people to this day say the Shema every morning and evening. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God. It's the Shema, but it means to listen or hear. And so what, what Jesus did was he changed his name from listen or hear. Someone who listens or hears changed his name to rock. And why did he do that? Dr. D.A. Carson explains the significance. He says, When Peter is brought to him, Jesus assigns a new name as a declaration of what Peter will become. This is not so much a merely predictive utterance as a declaration of what Jesus will make of him. I agree with that. That's exactly right, that that Jesus was not just predicting what Peter was about to become, but Jesus himself was going to change him into that because this is what Jesus loves to do. He loves to change us. And if you doubt me on this, there's a verse, I, I, I don't know why, but I tend to quote it more often than some other verses in the services. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It's, I think it's what Jesus does for us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. That's what happens when we encounter Jesus. He changes us. The Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. We're adopted into God's family because God loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. Now, Jesus didn't just change his name. Of course, he changed what his occupation was going to be from then on. He took him from being someone who was a fisherman to becoming a fisher of men. And it's part of the difference he made in his life. And we'll talk about this in just a little bit. But I want you to think for a moment, even in your own life, and ask the question, how has... Jesus changed you since you put your faith in Christ. Some of you have some pretty remarkable stories. Sometimes the change is dramatic. Sometimes it's over time. But he changes us, and he begins to use us for an eternal purpose. This is what God was 
giving an opportunity for Peter and the disciples to be part of an eternal purpose, to share a message that when people respond to it, they gain eternal life. It's of infinitely greater value than what they were doing before. But let's continue reading and look at two additional disciples that Jesus called. I want you to especially notice as we're reading these verses, the conversation that Jesus had with Nathaniel because it's odd. It's, it's a conversation that if you just read it the way it is, you say, these two are missing each other. Like Jesus says this and Nathaniel says this. It's like, why did you say this? And then Jesus says this. And it's like, why did you say that? So let's look for it as I read it here, beginning in verse 43 of John 1. The next day he decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, And he said about him, here's a true Israelite. No deceit is in him. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Well, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe only because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than this. Then he said, I assure you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, there is so much more to this story that meets the eye, but there are hints, there are clues throughout it that kind of explain what's going on. So when Jesus first meets this guy named Nathaniel, he also, by the way, went by the name of Bartholomew. And so he had both, both of those names. Sometimes there, there are differences in names because of the language differences. Uh, Sometimes it seemed like people chose to be called by something else or God changed their name. But anyway, as soon as Jesus meets this Nathaniel guy, he says, oh, you're someone in whom there's no deceit. It's just an odd thing to say. You know, Jesus immediately is reading right into him. You know, you're someone in whom there's no deceit. The word deceit here means trickery. You're someone in whom there's no trickery. Why, Why did he say that? Nathaniel didn't argue with the statement. He just said, how do you know me? And Jesus didn't answer the question. He said, well, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel immediately says, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Now, what about that statement was so remarkable to Nathaniel that he, he said, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. I mean, what's going on with this conversation behind the scenes? And then Jesus finishes the conversation by saying, well, you haven't seen anything yet. You're going to see angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man, which was Jesus' favorite title for himself. It's a really odd conversation. What's happening here? Why was he, he so impacted by this encounter with Jesus? Well, let me explain what I'm convinced was going on here behind the scenes. Before Jesus met Nathaniel, I believe that Nathaniel was having what Christians call a quiet time. 
He had gone up some place where he could be alone, some place where he could be quiet, some place where he could be hidden, and he was meditating on the word of God, and he was praying. And so that, that's where he was. He was under this tree, and, and he was hidden in such a way that it's real clear that Nathaniel was blown away when Jesus said, I saw you under the tree, because obviously it was a tree that was so thick or whatever, you couldn't see someone under the tree. The only way to see someone under that tree is to be someone really, really special, like maybe God, the Son of God or something. He was blown away by the fact that Nathaniel, or Jesus knew that Nathaniel was even there. But there was something that was even more surprising to him. I think we know exactly what Nathaniel was thinking about, and this is what, what really surprised Nathaniel when Jesus was talking to him because Daniel, or Nathaniel was, was having his quiet time in Genesis 28. You say, well, how on earth would you know that? It's not in the story. No, the hints are all there. He's reflecting on Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28 is the story of a guy named Jacob. Jacob was the grandson, you remember, of Abraham, but Jacob had a reputation. He had a reputation of, of being a deceiver. A liar. And you remember he lied to his brother twice or he deceived his brother, tricked his brother twice. He, he lied to his father. He deceived his father-in-law. His very name kind of has this implication of, of deceit. It, it literally means surplanter is what his name means. It was, he was named Jacob because uh, he was a twin and his brother was coming out first so he would have been the firstborn, but Jacob grabbed him by the heel, tried to pull him back in. And so he was given this name, one who grabs the heel, is the literal idea, or supplanter, but it came to have this idea of deceiver. And so Nathaniel's reading this story about Jacob, who's this deceiver, and imagine if you had had your devotions or whatever, and you were reading that story, and then you meet someone for the first time, and they look at you, and they say, you're someone in whom there is no trickery with you, there's no deceit with you. And it, it blew Nathaniel away. I mean, he said, how do you know me? But I really think he was asking, how, do you, how did you know what I was thinking about? How did you know? And again, Jesus said, I saw you under the tree. And he said, well, you couldn't have unless there's really something special about you. And, and then Jesus added this other detail, which is part of the story of Jacob. You remember Jacob had a dream. He slept on a rock and he had a dream of a ladder that went up into heaven. And angels were coming and going upon this ladder and Jacob realized that God was there. And on that occasion, God spoke to Jacob. Now Jesus comes along to Nathanael and says, you know what? You're gonna see angels coming and going off the Son of Man, off of me. I am the one that's directing these angels. I am the one who spoke to Jacob. I think he put all of that together from this story. And it changed his life to realize that the angels were at Jesus' command and that's why he said, you are the son of God. There's no other explanation for what was happening here. You are the Messiah, the King of Israel. And as a result of this encounter, Nathaniel became a lifelong disciple of Jesus. Tradition has it that he served in Armenia, but he eventually died as a martyr. He was, I hate to say it, but he, they say he was flayed to death, skinned alive. 
in India, of all places. Now, another tradition says he was actually crucified upside down, but what matters is that he gave his, the rest of his life to telling people about Christ, to spreading the gospel message so people could receive the free gift of eternal life. That became his new purpose in life. One by one, the disciples were changed by Jesus from just an average life to something special. We have their calling in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, where we read, as he was passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I'll make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired men and followed him. The ones that Jesus snagged became ones who would be snagging others for Jesus. But not all of the disciples, of course, were fishermen. You know, I want to consider one last one in some detail. Shortly after Jesus called Andrew and Peter and Nathaniel and Philip, John and James, he, he called a guy who was a tax collector, a guy named Levi. And that encounter again with Jesus changed his life, changed everything. This is found in Mark two thirteen and 14, where we read, then Jesus went out again beside the sea the whole crowd was coming to him and he taught them. Then, moving on, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So he got up and followed him. Now, if you keep reading, you'll see that this Levi guy threw a party for the disciples and for Jesus and, and he invited a lot of his friends, his tax collector friends, other so-called sinners, all these people at this party. And this caused some, some heartburn for the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And so they went to the disciples and said, why, why does your, the teacher here associate with, with people like that? I just, I just don't understand why he's associating with them. In verse 17, we read Jesus' response. When Jesus heard this, he told them, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Levi is someone who would have been despised in his day, would have been looked down upon by just about all the Jewish people in, in the country. They hated tax collectors. In addition, he would not even have been welcome in the temple. He'd be one of those people that would have this perspective in his own mind, I can't go to church because I'm such a sinner. And I've run into people over the years that have had that perspective, like I don't want to go to church because I'm such a bad person, not realizing that's where exactly you need to be. Unfortunately, it's the religious people that often have a problem with things like this, like why is that sinner here? The religious people who can't look at themselves and realize we're all, we're all sinners, we're all in trouble. After this encounter, this guy was changed. Levi also goes by another name. His name is Matthew. You may recognize the name Matthew. It's a name after which one of the Gospels is named. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He ended up being a great witness to the Jewish nation. Jesus changed him, transformed him, and used him for something great. Now, there was one disciple who had an encounter with Jesus, and I'm not going to spend time on him, but he wasn't changed. 
I think we all kind of know who that was. It was Judas. <clears throat> Toward the end of Jesus' three-year ministry, we, we discover that Jesus was the guy that was in charge of the money, but he was pocketing the money. He was skimming off the top, some for himself. Can you imagine Judas not realizing Jesus as a prophet knew exactly what he was doing? Can you imagine even being with Jesus for three years and it not impacting your life, not changing you? And of course, he ended up dis, uh, betraying Christ. It demonstrates to me, by the way, that, that Jesus doesn't force people to trust in him or believe in him. This was up to Judas to make that decision. He's, he's only going to change people that allow him to change him. And so I want to walk us to walk away with here today to realize that God loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. And, and part of it is I wish we could see ourselves as God does. In a moment, we're going to sing a song that talks about this. If we could just see ourselves the way God does. And oftentimes we don't. And, and we don't realize how God is able to use us. Because I think God loves to use people. Do you realize that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Do you realize that Jesus said, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. That every one of us, because of the Spirit of God within us, changes us so that we can bear much fruit. It's not about us anymore. And we can look at ourselves through the lens of how we see ourselves. We can look at ourselves through the lens of what Christ is doing in and through us and how he wants to use us. I want to close my comments with a story of when I was a student at Ohio State. I was part of a Bible study. And one of the pastors of our church led the study that I was a part of. I was, I was kind of a leader in that group, but, but there was, this other guy was leading the group. <clears throat> and one day, he arrived at our Bible study, and he said, I have an idea. He said, instead of us meeting on Tuesday night every week like we're doing here, why don't all of you pair up and go up into the freshman dorms and start a Bible study up there so that... On Tuesday nights, instead of having just one Bible study going, there'll be seven or eight. And all of us thought, this is, this is a great idea. And I ended up pairing up with him, although he only went up with me, I think, once. I was kind of on my own. And so I started going up to one of the freshman dorms. Now, Ohio State at the time, I'm sure they have several more freshman dorms, but there were two of the dorms that were, we called the towers, and one was called Lincoln Tower, and one is Moral Tower. We used to kiddingly call them Sodom and Gomorrah because of the things that took place up there. And um, I had met a, a college student early on in their quarter. See, they used to be on the quarter system, and, and I'd met this guy, and he, he invited me to come up, and I thought, well, this will be the floor. You know, he wasn't yet a Christian, but he didn't mind I would come up, and so every week I was going up to see him. Within a, a, a couple weeks, all of the pairs that went up into the dorms started Bible studies on all the floors, except me. I couldn't get anything started. And here I was like one of the leaders. I was, I was so embarrassed by it because everyone else had these groups going all quarter long, week in and week out. They were talking about the things that were happening in their Bible studies and I would go up there and it's like nothing's happening. And I thought, I, I, I don't know what to do about that. I was trying to develop relationships with the guys up there. 
their floor was set up kind of in an interesting way. It was like 16 guys in rooms with a common suite area. I actually believe it was four to a room, four, 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 with this common area. And I'd go up and see my friend. And then I'd go up and play ping pong with the guys. I was good at ping pong. My family grew up with a ping pong table down in our basement. My three brothers and I, we played all the time and I still have a wicked spin. If I use that spin, your ball's not coming back on the table probably. And so I'll, I built a little respect through that and, and the guys kind of accepted me as one of the guys on the floor, but nothing was happening spiritually. The quarter ended and uh, the next quarter began. And I was still kind of embarrassed, like I hope before this year is out, I'm able to start a Bible study. Again, it was just, I was just embarrassed. You know, I'm supposed to be a leader, I can't lead anything. And I went up, that first week I went up in January, and I walked in, and it's important to realize that of the 16 guys that were in this suite, only one professed to be a Christian, none of the others did. This one guy, and it wasn't the one I was going up to visit, it was somebody else. And so I went up there in January, and I walked into the suite area, and they were playing a game. But it was a game that, um, where you had to swear. Now, some of you know what the game is. I don't even remember what the name of it was, but it was a name where you need to shout out this word that I consider to be like a bad word, a swear word. And, and so I walked in, and the moment I walked in, the one guy who claimed to be a Christian blurted out that word. Then he looked up and saw me, and they all knew I was a Christian and that I was part of a Bible study group, and his face turned beet red. Now, I'm not the language enforcer, right? I mean, that's, you know, I'm not judging what other people did, but he was so embarrassed that immediately he got up. And he, he said, I got to go, guys. I got to go study. And he, he just went off to his room. He was just so, so ashamed, so embarrassed. And then the guy said to me, Tim, do you want to play? And I was faced with a little bit of a dilemma. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll play, but I want to say this instead of that. I'm going to say, and I was going to say, you're bluffing. So maybe you know what the game is again. I don't know what it is, but I said, you're bluffing. And they said, sure, that's fine. If you want to say that, that's fine. And I sat down and took his spot. We played for five to 10 minutes and um, the game was done. The moment the game was done, instantly when the game was done, one of those students ran out to me. His name was Todd. I didn't know him well, but he ran right over to me and he said, I, I don't know what to do to get to heaven, but I know if I were to die, I would not go to heaven. Can you explain to me how I can become a Christian? And I thought, what? <laughs> you know, like we're playing this game. Where did that come from? It was just so strange, like he'd been waiting. And I believe what happened is that he saw I had a conviction that I wouldn't violate. I think it convicted him, I think that's what happened. I said, sure, I'll talk with you. And so I got up and he and a couple other guys, we went into one of the rooms and I explained the gospel to him. I explained how we've all sinned, every one of us, and we can't fix that. And how God sent his own son to be the savior of the world, to die in our place for our sin, to pay the full penalty. And he died and was buried, but he rose again from the dead. And the payment was accepted by God the Father and all we need to do is put our trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And then I quoted John 3, 16. You know, God so loved the world, he gave us his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And this young man said, I want that. And we bowed our heads and I offered him a prayer and he 
pray this prayer and when he lifted up his face was glowing and I knew he knew Jesus. I mean, he'd been changed in a moment. The next week, I don't, I think it was one week later, we suddenly had a Bible study going on the floor. And I'll never forget the week that I walked in and I saw all 16 guys sitting there for a Bible study. 16 Ohio State University students in this suite. They're all sitting there. It only happened one week where all of them were there. But I knew God was doing something and one by one they started putting their faith in Christ and I had the privilege of baptizing eight of them. Half the guys ended up putting their faith in Christ. And I realized it's, you know, it, it was, I was a failure. I didn't view myself in any way as being even able, but God is able to do things through us. And part of it is just believing God and trusting in Him. Part of it is seeing what He's doing in and through us and believing what God says about us is true. One detail of that story that I forgot to mention is that two of those guys ended up being pastors and one of them is a brother-in-law. I love how God changes lives. Let's pray. Father, we really want to believe what is true, what you say about us and how you want to use us to accomplish great things, O oh Lord. By this are you glorified when we bear much fruit and so prove to be your disciples. And we acknowledge it's not about us, it's about you and the difference that you can make in our lives. We do bless you and we thank you that you, you love us enough to use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That concludes our time this morning, so have a blessed week. Hope to see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.